Open the Word of God with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 for an opening passage of Scripture. I hope you're still glad to be in the house of the Lord. I am, and I'm glad to be here with you. We're studying higher ground. This is the tenth sermon in this series of messages. I'm dragging it out, intentionally so, with greater and greater conviction about the importance of us emphasizing and stressing the things that the Bible stresses for being great Christians and a great church. I don't want us to be content, complacent, or average. I want us to be the best. I want our church to be exceeding magnificent. David didn't want to build the Lord some ordinary house, and we don't want to have an ordinary church. We want to press on, forgetting all the things that are behind us that we may or may not have accomplished, to do much more for Him and the glory of His great name. Hebrews chapter 6. I want those first few words, and I sent them to you in an email recently, but I'm bringing them before your eyes again, that by repetition you might know that what we are doing is scriptural and right. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. This verse tells us that there are things that we should leave behind. And we should go on. And this is the very theme of why I'm preaching on higher ground that we would leave some things behind to press on for more important, more valuable things in His sight. Now what He calls leaving the principles, those are the rudimentary, elementary facts of the doctrine of Christ. He calls them principles here. In other places in the epistles of Paul, He calls them rudiments and elements. They're the basic facts. Let's leave the basic facts of the doctrine of Christ and let us go on unto perfection. Let's not go back, and he gives us six illustrations, six points of doctrine that we can leave behind. And that is the initial foundation of repentance from dead works, to give up the works of Moses' law and any other works that you were involved in to come to a knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We don't need to do that again. We don't need to talk about that. The apostle is saying with number one, and then he says of faith toward God, that is so elementary and so much at the front of your Christian walk that we can leave it behind. And of the doctrine of baptisms, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the baptism of fire, water baptism, baptism of persecution, but primarily water baptism, we can move on past that. And of laying on of hands, whether it be healing or ordaining. And of resurrection of the dead, that's a basic foundational principle, an elementary fact of the gospel, and of eternal judgment. We can leave these things behind and press on to other things. Now in verses 10-14 through of the previous chapter, the Apostle Paul has introduced the priesthood of Melchizedek. That's a more complicated subject than the principles of the doctrine of Christ. It's an advanced doctrine of Christ. And he said back there in verse 11 that he had many things that he would like to say about Christ and his priesthood, 
but they were dull of hearing. They were infants. They needed milk instead of stronger meat. Now, beginning at this point, there's a transition made, and Paul gets more complicated. And he moves into chapter 6 with the covenants and how God swore with an oath. And there was a, there was a great difference and a great added value of understanding that under the covenant of Jesus Christ. And he's still talking about Melchizedek because he says so in the 20th verse of that sixth chapter. All of chapter 7 is about Melchizedek. Chapter 8 is about the covenants of God, that the old covenant of the Jews has been put aside and replaced with a new covenant. Chapter 9 is all the ordinances of divine service that God gave and loved for 1,500 years, they're gone because there's been a time of reformation. This was staggering truth to the Jews. Then chapter 10, there's a new and living way into the presence of God and judgment coming on those that don't receive it and hold fast to it. And he finishes out the book with chapters 11, 12, and 13. But I want you to get the point that there are some things in the Bible less important than other things, even though it is called the doctrine of Christ. Let's leave the basic elementary points, principles of the doctrine of Christ and move on to some more weighty material like Melchizedek. If you read Hebrews 7 last night and thought about it, that is much more complicated than faith toward God. It is much more complicated than the doctrine of baptisms. It's weighty. It's beautiful. But we're to move on. This is not my point for today. All I want is, there are some things that are considered principles, and there are some things that are higher in value, and we want those things. We embrace the ancient landmarks. I love them. I have tried to teach them to you faithfully, with great zeal, listing them, exalting them, showing how much God cares about details, and that we want to esteem everything in His Word on all subjects, to be right and to hate every false way. But more than that, we want the Lord God Himself to have a relationship with us and we with Him. We don't want to be like Ephesus, being commended for nine things, but having lost our first love. We don't want to be like Laodicea that thought they were well clothed and beautiful as a church, and Jesus said you are naked and wretched and poor and blind because you need a personal relationship with me. That is the verse that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Here in the in uh, the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews, I've shown you in the last part of verse 5 that Paul rebuked, corrected, and to, a, to some degree ridiculed his audience as being infants yep. because they weren't ready to move on. We don't want an infant church. We want a mature church that's ready for strong meat. We want to go forward toward those things that are able to fill us with all the fullness of God. In Hebrews chapter 3, the the church at Ephesus, before we get to Revelation 2, we have the epistle of Paul to the church at Ephesus. And you know, chapter 1, we rejoice in it because it's got election and predestination clearly laid out as being the operations of God according to the good pleasure of His will, He has made us accepted in the Beloved. We love that doctrine. Most every Baptist church in Greenville County 
the, the Baptist churches that I came from, when I went to Bob Jones University, they teach that you need to accept Jesus in order to get to heaven. But Ephesians chapter 1 teaches God has to accept us in Jesus Christ in order for us to get into heaven. Right. We rejoice in chapter 1. We get to chapter 2 and it says that God has quickened us or made us alive from death in trespasses and sins by regeneration or quickening. Quickening meaning to make alive. We rejoice in chapter 2. But even in chapter 1, Paul is praying that God would give them the spirit of enlightenment and illumination to understand more things than he had taught them in the the two years that he was at Ephesus. In chapter 2, he prays for more that they would understand that they've been brought in as Gentiles to be in one body with the Jews. Chapter 3, to be filled with all the fullness of God. Chapter 4, that they wouldn't grieve the Holy Ghost. Chapter 5, that they would arise from the dead. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. Look at Paul pushing this church He was not content at all in their election and regeneration, but wanted so much more for them. Hebrews. And so we have right here in the middle of the epistle, this division where the things to this point are rather simple compared to some of the things that follow after. And Paul tells us that there ought to be a progression in our churches. There ought to be a progression in our knowledge from lesser principles to greater meat of the Holy Ghost that He's given us in the Bible. Look at chapter 13 with me. Let's go to the end and see what Paul concludes with. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. There are doctrines that don't profit. Grace profits. And so we always want to be pressing toward everything that God's grace offers His children. And not to be content with meats, Jewish laws, Jewish ordinances, the simple, basic, Old Testament things. We want to get rid of genealogies and strivings about words out of the law to no profit as Paul would tell Timothy in the pastoral epistles, we want to press on. And so here it is again. There are doctrines that don't profit that are being taught in churches. It is a, do you understand? And most of you don't probably the emphasis today on a real church service in their opinion would be that we had a scale model of the tabernacle right down here on a table and up here on a, a screen of the tabernacle. And we would go over the details of the furniture, the colors of the hangings, as if that would have some value for us. That is the shadow of the good things that were to come. We have the very things that were to come, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't tell me about some little pomegranate ball that's hanging on the priest's uniform. Tell me about Christ right out of the New Testament. Amen. Verses 15 and 16. By Him therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, 
giving thanks to His name, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Remember, this is a Jewish audience. This Jewish audience is used to David's scheduled musicians and singers doing the worship and the sacrifices being animals to being killed on an altar. But do you know what we get to bring as a sacrifice? Did, did, you, did you notice in a song that we sang this morning that praise is His gracious choice? Right. He doesn't ask for your firstborn. Praise is His gracious choice. What a religion. He's done it all. We get to praise Him. What a day to praise the Lord. By Him, therefore, in verse 15, let us offer the sacrifice of praise, not of animals, but of praise to God. How often? Continually. Not by course. Those priests would only operate for for one twenty-fourth of the year. They'd only operate for a couple of weeks at a time, and they'd be replaced. But we get to do it continually. Giving the fruit of our lips. We don't bring the fruit of our fields. The fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name and then to do good and to communicate, that is to convey our goods to those that are in need. We shouldn't forget that. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. God is well pleased with New Testament worship right there, which has just been pulled right out of the Old Testament ordinances that have been reformed and gone away. Verses 20 and 21, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We want God to work in us every good work to do His will. We want Him to work in us that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. By God's grace, we want to identify the traits or goals of the best churches and Christians for us to pursue them. We want to give a church to Jesus Christ that is exceeding magnificent. And it's entirely different from what David ever gave him. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, since you're so close to it. 1 Peter chapter 2. David had to worry about physical, literal, gold, silver, brass, iron, timbers, and stones. Hewn stones, marble, granite, and precious stones. Polished stones. And we don't have to do any of that. We just need to polish ourselves and each other. So we have 1 Peter 2. Verse 4, To whom coming, that is the Lord Jesus. Do you see him in verse 3? If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed gracious, to whom coming, as unto a living stone. He is the cornerstone. And he's a living cornerstone, of an organism called the temple and the house of the living God, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. It is a precious stone that makes up the cornerstone of the house of God. And the Jews rejected Him, but we have received Him by the grace of God. Ye also were stones like Him. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We want to be experts in this. these two verses. We want to thrive in doing these things. 
And so today, our theme is to offer up the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving praise and thanksgiving to His name. And it's made acceptable by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's made us kings and priests. Let's have a royal assembly. Let's all as priests offer up a sacrifice that's acceptable to Him. Verse 9, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, kings and priests, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past, and this is really true of us, this is speaking of Jews who had been rejected by God but then received again, but when we think of us as being Gentiles, this verse is even more true of us, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Let's worship that God through Jesus Christ. He makes all of our sacrifices and we want them to be the esteemed and precious sacrifices of the New Testament. He makes them acceptable through Jesus Christ. So that we get to come and have an assembly like this. Look, we have a room full of royal priests. If you think of us as less than that, you do not know the grace of God in truth. This is a room full of royal priests. Kings and priests are assembled together, made so by the Lord Jesus Christ. We will rule the universe. The angels are our servants. We can go straight into the presence of God 20 times a day instead of once a year. It's wonderful. Let's praise His glorious name today. Let's not be content to sit back and think about the fact that we don't have a steeple. That we don't have a dry pastor baptistry. That we don't have musical instruments. Let's get excited about more important things. We want both. Turn to Matthew 23, 23. I also shared this verse with you. And there's a reason. I don't want you to forget these things. The Bible does set priorities. It tells us this is better than that. And it was one of the Proverbs this past week. That better is a little with love, you know, than great treasures and trouble therewith. Verses like that in the Bible are so true. If they had been written by a poor man, we could mock him. But they were written by Solomon. Did you know that the Bible tells you what a meal was like for Solomon? It said that the Queen of Sheba could not believe what went on in the care that was given of Solomon. It tells the number of sheep, the number of deer, the number of everything that was slain for each meal. It tells about the golden goblets that were used to drink from. It just goes on and on in detail. But we have something far better. Far better. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Exclamation point, thus my emphasis. For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. We want both. We want the ancient landmarks and these traits of higher ground that the Lord is leading us through. Notice 
that the Lord Jesus Christ could look at the law of Moses and say there are weightier, more important matters of the law. And they are judgment or justice in this particular place, mercy and faith. And Luke, when he gives this account, calls faith the love of God. See, we want to love God, we want to love mercy, and we want to treat everyone justly and mercifully because justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. If all we did was go around and write brochures against Halloween and tear steeples down, we haven't accomplished very much. There's so much more for us. You know, the Lord had me this week think about the fact that in James chapter 2 and verse 19, it says the devils believe and tremble. The devils absolutely know that steeples are stupid. They know where they came from. They know what they represent. They know what the obelisk in the Vatican and Rome represents. They believe all that stuff. They know it, they know it better than we do. Whatever ancient landmarks that we're missing, they're not. They know about them. But I want to tell you something. The traits that we've covered so far, the devils absolutely hate every single one of them. It is an entirely different thing. They would much rather have a church that has dotted all of its I's and crossed all of its T's and has lost its first love because they win. Think about what we've covered so far. Christ-centered. Do you know what even saying those words to the devil means? It drives them crazy. They came and fell on the ground and worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ when He was on earth in His state of humiliation and professed that He was the Holy One of God and had He come before the time to torment them. They love no steeples because they know that's right. But they don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. They hate Him. The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the presence of God in us. Satan has been thrown out of the presence of God. We have the presence of God in us. They cannot stand the Holy Ghost and His presence in us, though they know He's God, and He's going to throw them into the lake of fire in a day coming soon. More prayer. They know that in prayer, it is the exercise of a soldier of the cross, fully armed and defeating the devil. Ephesians chapter 6. It's the activity of a Christian soldier defeating the devil. How about a heavenly perspective? They don't like a heavenly perspective because that means looking to the future when we're going to be in heaven, guess where they're going to be? We want to have a spirit-filled, spiritually-minded church and it's totally contrary to the devil and his angels. They are opposed to to the core of their beings against everything we've covered so far. Holiness? Holiness? The devils hate holiness. They love everything that is contrary to holiness. Oh Lord, help us. They do not have works by faith. They believe and tremble, but it never changes them. They never repent. They despise and hate each spiritual ambition that we're going over. We want to embrace the things that the devil hates. 
Because we know God must love it. Because they are enemies to each other. They'll allow us to hold all true and correct points of doctrine about Jesus Christ as long as they can take us off the passionate love of Christ. Let me say it again. If they can get us into a role like Ephesus, nine, nine commendations of that church. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, and if you don't repent, I'm going to come quickly and take the candlestick out of your church. (laughs) Claps the devils. So which do we want? We want it all. Which will we emphasize? The first love. If we're loving Christ first, He'll show us where we're lacking in the nine. If we're lacking in the nine. Brethren, please think with me about the seriousness of your life. You should want to be reminded of ratcheting up your spiritual performance because each of you will soon meet God. The Bible puts it this way, prepare to meet thy God. Paul said that we labor, whether present or absent, that we might be accepted of Him. You should be thankful for this series of messages because part of its benefit is to push you in spiritual directions to be ready to meet Him. Peter said he would spend the rest of his life reminding them how to strive for more. That immediately follows upon the eight things that Christians are to be adding to their lives to be ready to meet the Lord, to prove their election. It's very easy for churches and pastors to get distracted with various emphases that are not of God. You know, the flesh affects your spirit. The flesh affects my spirit all the time, wanting to misdirect us misdirect us, redirect us, distract us, divert us. The flesh affects your spirit at all times unless you are totally submitted to the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God. Thus, it's easy to prefer carnal subjects, even from the Bible, rather than spiritual subjects. And we know the difference, don't we? I mean, I've had sermons over the 31 years that I've called... I'll call, I'll call them entertaining sermons. They're still good, but they belong in a lower place than some of the other sermons right. that are pressing us to greater diligence and faithfulness in spiritual religion. Fulfilled prophecy. Daniel. Revelation. Prophecies. You know, they can, they can become the mainstay of a church yeah. instead of loving the Christ of the prophecies. Right. And even in the Bible, we can, you know, we, can, we can just dive into Proverbs and we can write these long commentaries on all 915 verses about how to work harder and make money and save money and don't take risk and so forth. But let's move on right. to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ministries get diverted from spiritual goals to natural, national, physical, carnal, earthly goals like social crusades and you know, you've heard, you've seen churches, you know how many thousands of churches there are that exist for this purpose? Social crusades like literacy, or food, or AIDS, 
I'm thinking Rick Warren, Southern Baptist. Politics or activism in various ways. These are things unknown in the New Testament. The prosperity gospel of how to get rich, be rich, and be happy. Scientific speculation like Nephilim. Star Wars preaching. Conspiracies, religious and political. Studies of cults and heresies. Current events. Growth in numbers. Evangelism preeminence. Dreams or experiences. Mysteries that are not gospel mysteries, but are earthly esoteric mysteries. History or tradition of churches or theology. Philosophy or the hallucinations of men. And we want to blow all that out and go right to the Word of God. And what does it tell us is important. This study is win-win-win. A better church glorifies God. That's my chief goal. For God to glorify Himself to us and through us. But there's also the benefit of exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son, adorning the Gospel that we have with better lives, silencing our enemies and the wicked by our spiritual religion, benefiting each one of you spiritually, and preparing us all for the day of judgment. Every epistle in the New Testament written by Paul, if you read it, look for it. If you read it and look for it, you'll find that he's always pressing them upward, onward, more and more. That they would abound more and more in certain things. And that's what I've done in preparing for this. And yes, I am dragging this sermon series out because it is that important to me. Because I want you to, I want to make, be a transition at the 35 year history of our church, even upward and onward to better things. Okay. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. I don't have that much time left, but I don't think I need to bury you in details of one point. It's point number 8. We have covered so far Christ-centeredness. More of the Holy Spirit in emphasizing Him. More prayer. Spiritual-mindedness. A heavenly perspective. A relationship over religion personal holiness, and personal devotions. Give me a few minutes on personal devotions. Then we'll take a break and we'll have some public devotions. And we'll we'll worship our great God and His Son, Jesus Christ. How can our church be great if we ourselves and our families are not so in those seven traits I just gave you? We need to bury ourselves in those seven things The ones that are coming are of lesser importance than those seven. A church is not a building. You know, you drive down the street and a child says, there's a church! Uh, Churches aren't buildings, but we can call a church building a church as long as we make sure that we understand the difference. A church is a congregation of consecrated, sanctified saints. A church is not a meeting for Bible teaching. Let's go to church. You know, all you can think of is pulpit, platform, loud, pews, I sit and listen, he stands and talks. And that's, a church is a lot more than that. Thus the second service. And thus the second service is not unusual for this church. Because it's always been promoted for 30 years. 
A church is not a meeting for Bible teaching, but an organism, it's a body tied to the Lord Jesus Christ in intimate terms. We're of His flesh and of His bone. He's the bridegroom and we're the bride. It's a very close relationship. A church, God describes it as a temple, but it can't be better than the combination of its individual stones. And you are an individual living stone in this temple unto the Lord. And we want to raise it up and edify itself in love to be a better body. That's what the, these are Bible words, Bible verses and Bible mandates. I, the last one being from Ephesians 4.16, that by that which every joint and every part supplies, we make, we edify ourselves unto the edifying of itself in love up into Christ until we're worthy of His headship. And we've built solidly upon His cornerstone and the foundation of the apostles and prophets of the New Testament. Does the Bible teach personal devotions? Number eight. Here we go. Number eight. Does the Bible teach personal, private devotions? Yes. In both Testaments? Yes. I'm using the word devotions for private time to commune, fellowship, draw nigh, invite in, to read the Bible, to pray, to confess, to meditate, to self-examine, to review sermons, to sing and to study privately. There's 168 hours in a week. You have time. If we were to put that 168 hours on a screen behind me and let us all be judges of how many hours you waste in a week, the number is staggering. Lord, help us. Help us to redeem the time because the days are evil. So that's how I'm using the word devotions and I mean it in private. I do not mean praying at meals and I do not mean family devotions. I mean each person having their own time where they get away from everything else to talk to God, listen to God, rejoice in Him, delight in Him, walk with Him, examine their hearts, commune with their own hearts about Him. This makes huge difference. And so I have... Listen, number nine is a distracting one compared to this, so it's off. I want today to be rejoicing in the Lord. And I'm hoping that the second assembly of rejoicing in the Lord publicly will drive us out of here wanting to do more of it privately. If there's any method behind the madness, that's what it is. But if I be mad, I'm mad for His sake. And your prophet. Somebody will say to me, well, it's not mentioned in the New Testament. I'm going to prove you wrong in a moment. But neither is spanking children, so should we give up on it? There's a number of things not mentioned in the New Testament because the New Testament writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, did not think they had to repeat themselves from the Old Testament. You can't find spanking children in the New Testament. Solomon had a few things to say about it and a few more things. And that proverb is going to hit the earth at 4 o'clock this afternoon. I am thy shield. And I modified some of the words. Not from Bible words. Oh, that little three-letter word rod is in there. It's the truth of God's word. And there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people thankful for it around the world. I'm still thankful that we live in a country where it's allowed, though it's certainly railed against in public. It's still legally permissible, and especially in this state of, of a few that are left that say so. 
the patriarchs. We're the, we're the patriarch. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. Verse 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and 5 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. He went straight to heaven. He's the first man in the Bible that we're told walked with God. This is a one-on-one thing. This wasn't family devotions. This was him walking with God. It would include family devotions because a man walking with God would lead his family in righteousness. But this is Enoch and God. We can have it. To read this ought to provoke us. To walk with God. And God just took him into heaven. I don't want you on earth anymore. Come up hither. Beautiful. In the Bible for our encouragement. Who do you want to be like in the Bible? Enoch. Praise the Lord, yes. Chapter 6 and verse 9. How this man get in a boat and save himself and his family from the flood? Genesis 6, 9 about Noah. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. This is walking with someone. When you say, let's go for a walk. You know, that's pretty personal. But this is God walking with men. And men walking with God. This is personal devotions. This is personal communion. This is personal fellowship with God. You're talking to Him. You're listening for Him. He does speak. He speaks in your soul. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, But the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. He sheds that love into our hearts. He causes us, Romans chapter 8, Galatians chapter 4, to cry, Abba, Father. He causes us to do that. That is a lot of communion and fellowship that can go on that is interrupted by sin and it is interrupted by you being too busy and too distracted. And we all are. And I hate it. I hate our society and all the inroads that it makes on us. And mine are different than yours. And you know, I could justify mine more, maybe a little bit, that I'm laboring in the Word of God for other people, including you. But I hate it to come to the end of a day and have labored in the Word of God all day long in different avenues. Where is that time that I can sit on the deck by myself in my bed. That's why the bed is my favorite place. Or it's ding, 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 ring. You know what? It, you all know what I mean. Lord help us. I go stark mad some days. Mad. I don't know what stark means. No amen, sister. Alone time with Almighty God is the best thing in the world. It is so refreshing, empowering, energizing, uplifting, joyful, pleasant, comfortable. We want more of it. We want more of it. I I could reel through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and so forth. Look at Exodus 33. I'm... I don't have time for 
all the details. Oh, Lord, help me. I know I've taken a long time to introduce this, Heavenly Father, because I want them to remember that there are principles that we can leave behind and there are things that we can press forward to. And what we're dealing with right now is to keep our first love of Thee and of Thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Exodus 33 and verse 11, The Lord spake unto Moses face to face. Do you know what I read to you from Genesis 15, 1 this morning? That God appeared to Abram in a dream and a vision. Moses was different. Moses was different. And it tells us so in Numbers 12, 6, but we're not going there. Exodus 33, 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Is that possible? Face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. Moses turned again into the camp because of the next words. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Joshua was standing there as Moses' assistant, standing back in the corner, watching God and Moses communing with each other and talking to each other like friends. And Moses finished his conversation with the Lord and went to work by going out into the camp. And Joshua just stayed there to take everything that he could get from the presence of the Lord. He had just seen a most fantastic relationship between God and Moses, and he wanted some of it. And when when I read these verses to you, do you want some of it? Then we need to take it. And our lives crush us. Our choices in our lives crush us. Help us, Heavenly Father. David was obsessed with God's Word. And um, rightly so. Look at Psalm 1. I've got so many verses here. Lord, just help me pick the right ones that would speak to souls this day that we would be convicted, led, instructed, guided into greater devotional time with You, to walk with You, and to commune and fellowship with You. The blessed man is in Psalm 1, the first three verses. The wicked men and God's judgment upon them are in verses 4-6. through I want verse 2. The blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth he meditate day and night. That's taking time to think about God's Word. That's what the word meditate means, to put it very simply, is to think upon God's Word. Psalm 19 is the heavens declare the glory of God, but there's something better. It's the law of the Lord that makes men perfect. And it goes on to describe it in many ways. And David valued it as being more precious to him than much fine gold and more pleasant to him than sweet honey from a honeycomb. Look at Psalm 4.4. Devotions are indicated, described, or commanded many times throughout David's psalms. The book of Psalms is a unique book in the Bible in that it describes a man's personal relationship with God. And I want you to feast on those psalms. That's why we're to sing them even in the New Testament. Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, and if any man be merry, what's he supposed to do? Sing psalms. Psalm 4.4 Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. There's instructions from David. Look at 16.7. Psalm 16 and verse 7. I will bless the Lord 
who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. God stirs up His candle in us. He stirs up our consciences and teaches us even in the night. In these night seasons, you're close there. Chapter 17, verse 3. Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Oh Lord, let that whole verse be our prayer as well. Look at Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Your time of devotions is not to become a Bible expert. It is to become God's friend. Do you understand that? Even mine. Paul told Timothy, you find other faithful men that could be ministers who are holding faithful to the things that I taught in public. The things which thou hast heard of me before many witnesses. Ministers need time alone. If ministers are to rely on the public ministry of the man training them like Paul to Timothy, then that is more true for you to rely on the public ministry instead of trying to study out something new for yourself in the Bible. The real time in the Bible is to meet with God and to seek His face and to love Him more passionately and to confess your sins and to self-examine yourself and all these things are taught in both Testaments. Psalm 63 and verse 6. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. This is David. There's so many verses like this. And I hope you know that. And I hope you know that there's an outline of 10 pages length on the website called The Heart of David. And if you want to see details and many, many verses pulled together, it's The Heart of David on uh, the website. How many times a day did Daniel pray? We all know this one, don't we? Daniel prayed three times a day. How many times a day did David pray? Back a few pages to Psalm 55 and verse 17, he prayed the same number of times. You know, we get, we usually get three squares in a day and a whole bunch of rounds. If you, if you know what I mean. Uh, three times a day. Psalm 55, 17, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. That's wonderful encouragement right there. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Did Jesus teach it in the New Testament for you to have private devotions? I know I'm stepping on your private time. 168 hours in a week, 1,440 minutes a day, and the pastor's trying to squeeze me for a few of them. Consider it a blessing and a privilege and a kind courtesy from the Lord because when you meet Him and you tell Him you were too busy for Him, I just don't know how that exchange is going to work out. When you say, I I was just too busy. Can you imagine saying that to the Most High? You will be summoned for a meeting with the Lord. Why didn't we have any fellowship while you were on earth? Why didn't you have personal devotions? Remember October 18th, 2015? I was too busy. I'm his ambassador warning you and me in advance. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, don't do your alms to be seen by men. They're not going to get any reward from your father. Do your alms in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Verse 3, the Lord will see your secret alms and he'll reward you openly. That's almsgiving. Verse 5, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. And verily I say unto you, they have their reward. That's all they're going to get. Men saw them. Verse 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet when thou hast shut thy door. Pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. The closet is a metaphor, a hyperbolic metaphor. Just like not letting your left hand know what your right hand's doing, that's an impossibility. It's a metaphor to make the point that you don't want to be seen of men, that it's a private place. You want to go to some private place where you can commune with God by yourself, not even to be seen by your spouse, because you're doing it for the Lord and Him only. This is Jesus teaching private devotions. Look at 16 and 18. When ye fast, don't do it openly. Don't appear to fast. Make your face as pretty and anoint yourself as much as possible. Your Father which seeth in secret, because our worship is to be done in secret. If you're going to fast, you don't need to tell anybody about your fast. Skip a few meals and do it to the Lord and spend that time in prayer to Him. Look at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. This is the Lord Jesus Christ now showing us how He did it. Private devotions. Luke 5, verse 16, And He withdrew Himself into the wilderness and prayed. He withdrew Himself into the wilderness and prayed. Can you go into the woods and pray? Where do you need to go to pray to be alone? Jesus showed us here how to do it. Look at chapter 6 and verse 12. Luke six twelve. It came to pass in those days that He went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. If Jesus needed personal devotions, do you think we might? This is a different kind of a church than coming together for a preaching service once or twice a week and hearing something from the pastor about the ancient landmarks and just going home and seeing if you can turn bucks the other 164 hours a week, you know, and build a bigger house and have a happy family and go to the amusement park and watch a couple movies and come on. Can we do better than that? How about if we had a church full of people that love the face of God privately seeking Him? The, the spiritual benefits that would flow into this church beyond what we've ever experienced before would be great. Amen. Lord, help us. Peter went up on a housetop. I mentioned it to you last Lord's Day to pray at noon. How big was the church that gathered up there? He was up there by himself to pray. Okay, there's these words in the Bible. See, I'm going to... There's these words in the Bible of what David did when he would get alone with God. He would meditate. Go back there to Psalm 143 this time. Psalm 143. What if we had a church full of lively stones so polished that they were seeking the face of God and communion and fellowship with Him like David did. When you go study, you don't have to learn a whole lot. You need to be reminded of things. 
You need to see words that God the Holy Spirit will make precious to your soul. Right. Like this morning I used Psalm 113. I've loved Psalm 113, those middle verses, for a long time. But Matthew, you ran into them, didn't you, son? Nephew. They spoke to you, didn't they? You didn't need to learn anything. You just looked at what you already knew and the way the Lord put it into terms with an exclamation point at the end, that though He's the greatest God in the universe, He humbles Himself to behold you on earth. And you shared that with the guy sitting to your right? You know, by writing me and telling me about it and your joy of having that relationship with Him, guess what it did to me? So you get it this morning again. And you know what the second service is for? I want to hear what verses the Lord's given the rest of you that you're going to give to me. Psalm 143 and verse 5. Here's the kind of things David did. I remember the days of old. you got to bring up some things to your memory. Things that are found in the Old Testament. Things that are found in the New Testament. Things that God has done with you. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. Whether it be a baboon or the galaxies that are floating around out there. 200 billion galaxies? And some of those galaxies have 100 trillion stars? Mm. All thy works. I remember. I meditate. I muse on the work of thy hands. Sherry and I go out on the deck. She feeds all this sugar water to hummingbirds. She's become such good friends with them. I'm glad I'm not. That thing will sit right there six inches from her face. I say, Sherry, I'd be afraid of it wanting to see if it could find any nectar in my eyeball. <laughs> She's not afraid of it. Remember that. Pastor's a sissy and his wife's a man. That little thing just sits there. You know, how fast are its wings beating? And what, what happens to you? Lord, you're magnificent. Yesterday's sky? Did you see that blue? Lord! The broad brush strokes of that whole thing being so blue. Just meditating, remembering, musing, falling into His Word, finding out that He knows He created that. He knows He created all those creatures. He loves all those creatures from the horse to Leviathan to hummingbirds. To snow, to snow, to rain, to clouds, to lightning, all of it. Here are the other words. Do you see we've got three in this one verse? I remember. You've got to take time to stop and remember things. If you're too busy, you're too busy to remember things. Because you're just trying to survive the present moment and get ready for the next. I remember. I meditate. I muse. To muse is to think soberly and seriously about something our country uses the word amusement park. Amuse. To amuse somebody is to keep them from thinking by giving them something fun and stupid to do. Like, you know, like a roller coaster. So that you're not doing any musing. Now, there's a time and a place for an amusement park, I guess. It's amuse. But I'm just giving you the definition of a word. When it says muse, serious thinking on the Lord and our world is bombarding us with things that we call amusement. Ponder. 
which is part of godly self-examination. To consider. I have a, there's a strings of verses for each one of these verbs. To search our spirits and our relationship with God. To examine whether we're in the faith or not. New Testament. Great men think on their ways and turn unto the Lord. Great men remember God, His Word, and His works. They commune with their hearts about their relationship with God. They delight in the Lord. They glory in Him. They, what glory is exalting joy in the Lord. They take pleasure in the Lord. Look at Psalm 111 and verse 2. You're not too far away. Psalm 111. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. Having pleasure in the works of the Lord. What is His greatest work? Sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to justify hateful rebels. To undo Eden. To undo that one tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil with the tree of Calvary. So that we can have a right to the tree of life. That is the greatest work of all when we're thinking about His works. Our lives and world are too busy and too noisy. Always distracting us from quiet time. There's a need for quiet time. Even our homes are no longer safe because of phones, computers, televisions, and radios that have made their inroads into our homes and our lives. Yet, some of these devices can be used to remind you of helpful spiritual matter. Those little devices, your little smartphones, can play songs off our website. We did for over an hour last night. It's wonderful. Just tap a new one. Tap a new one. Tap on an iPad. Precious. Every song in the world, practically, that's of any value, is hanging out there. All you got to do is find it and tap. And I don't even know how to operate one. I just tell my secretary. Sermons. You can listen to a sermon. You can pull up an outline. You can find the daily devotional there in the reference section of our website. You can have the Bible read to you. You can have the Bible read to you by different people. So these devices can be used to help. The Lord knows music is powerful in both testaments. You say, I'm not very good at singing psalms. Then let someone sing a psalm to you. You can just tap in Psalm 100, Old 100th. That melody that we just sang a little while ago is 500 years old. Just tap and do a little mind alteration. How will you tell the Lord that you were too busy for personal time with Him? You've got earbuds. You can go for a walk with earbuds in. Sermon. Bible being read to you. Music. You can go to sleep with it with earbuds in. We, you know, these, these inventions, let's use them for good. Life is too prosperous and pleasant to crave devotions with God. And the Lord warned Moses about that fact in Deuteronomy 6. Daily blasts of ease and pleasure are against it. Look at Isaiah 32. There's so much pleasure being thrown at us because we live in such a prosperous nation and there's so much to do and we can afford doing it and it's a distraction to us. I've already told you my distraction. It's different than yours maybe. But those of you that are very sober and seriously minded about your families, your marriage, your children, your job, the church, you know, you can get into the same rut that I can get into where you're doing things for the Lord and you self-justify, self-justify, and then you feel starved, dried, dead, 
and you're upset because you need to be alone with Him. And just think if we all took time to be alone with Him like we should, it would feed our church because every living stone in this temple would be better off for it. And He's the head of it and He's the cornerstone of it. And we're all in between. And we want that fellowship with Him. Isaiah 32, verse 9, Rise up, ye women that are at ease. Hear my voice, ye careless daughters. Give ear unto my speech. Many days and years shall ye be troubled, ye careless women. For the vintage shall fail, the gathering shall not come. Tremble, ye women that are at ease. Be troubled, ye careless ones. Strip you and make you bare and gird sackcloth upon your loins. As James 4 would tell us, there's a time to get rid of laughter and take on mourning because we want to come clean before the Lord. Look at Psalm 27 and verse 8. Just give me a couple more minutes. I am uh, I'm shorting what I have in front of me for you, but I hope that you will go and look at it. Psalm 27 and verse 8. When thou saidst, seek ye my face. My heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. I say that to you today, and I hope that you will answer the way David answered then. Thy face, Lord, will I seek. That is personal. That is Moses with God. That is one-on-one. That is, Lord, I love you. Speak to me. Show me what's wrong in my life that I can perfect. Show me in your word. Open it to me that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Help me survive in this world. Send more of your spirit to me. God is not impressed with your words. He's impressed with your heart in the matter. Remember, God is jealous and wants you to love Him only, above all else, always. You have more to draw nigh to God than David ever had. You should read Hebrews. Hebrews in several places just slips in whereby we draw nigh unto God. I don't have time to show you. It just slips it in. Because of what Jesus Christ did, it says, whereby we may draw nigh unto God. Because we have a greater sacrifice in the knowledge of it than anybody's ever had before us on this side of the cross. Your time needs to be a set time for it so that nothing else can interrupt your plan. It's usually easier in the morning when there are few distractions and demands. It needs to be focused, personal, intimate, transparent with the Lord, supplicating, begging, time with God. You must be eager, impressionable by Him, vulnerable to Him, receptive, of Him, expressive to Him, thankful. Come humbly with a broken spirit. He cannot deny or despise such a person. Your goal is to meet God and Jesus Christ to feed your heart and your mind in that order. Heart first, mind second. Because it's first love that we're going after. Your chief goal is not to be a Bible expert. Even pastors are to rely on public ministry. You can start with begging and supplicating Him to open the Word of God to you every time before you open the Bible. 
Open thou mine eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. And so you go and you read whatever you have chosen to read that day, and there's all kinds of ways to help something pick a place for you to read every day, but you ask God to show you something special from it. There's no fellowship with God with outstanding sin. So every sin needs to be confessed and asking Him to show you any sins that you are not thinking of and are not aware of so that you can confess them. Seek a goal. What's your goal when you meet with the Lord? His face. Personal fellowship with Him. Assurance of your salvation. His works. His will. His words. His holiness. His love of you. He can shed that stuff abroad in your hearts. He can open, he can cause you to remember his works. He can open his word to you. He can show you his will. We have a very simple Bible reading program, one chapter a day. It's been by design. So that you wouldn't get into sections of the Bible that would discourage you. And so it would be a lesser amount each day to read so that you could ponder the words more carefully than if it was a longer reading passage. We have daily devotionals to go with those readings that my father put together for you to help you consider what you read. We have a variety of reading schedules. There's all kinds. You can create your own. You can have one psalm a day, one proverb a day, one Old Testament chapter, and three New Testament chapters a day. That would be five chapters. We have other daily devotionals like Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. It's not reading more chapters or verses, but pondering the verses that you read more. Sometimes just just one verse is a lot. Jerry, is Psalm 51 and verse 1 worth meditating on for a while? The multitude of His tender mercies. I'm not stealing any thunder because I want you to thunder again if the Lord has so convicted you. A multitude of His tender mercies. The first verse of David's confession. That is the way to meet the Lord. Reminding the Lord of a multitude of tender mercies. Then you can confess your murder and adultery and be forgiven. Oh brethren, we're too busy. So 1 Corinthians 7 says, I would have you to be without carefulness because the unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord how she may please Him. And the unmarried man cares for the things of the Lord how he may please Him. So there is private things to do. And when we're married, it takes away from it. When we have children, it takes away from it. When we have a job, it takes away from it. And so we, the Bible says, it is time for those that be married to be as though they were not. There's a, you've got to do whatever it takes to limit your obligation to your spouse to, to adjust it so that you have more time with the Lord. It says so. And it mentions it about trading and about your business and the other parts of your life so that we have more time for the Lord. The Bible says we're supposed to keep ourselves in the love of God. You do not keep loving God by nature. You have a spiritual new man that if you're not feeding him and you're not putting off the old man, gets weaker and weaker. So in Jude 1 and verse 20, it says to keep yourselves in the love of God. And it says praying in the Holy Ghost. They go together. 
What does it take to get you revved up, fired up, lifted up in spirit in the Lord? We have so many things available for us. Sermons, songs, memory verses. Is it the Messianic Psalms? Messianic Psalms are pretty good. Is it the Altogether Lovely series? Just to go into it, look at that point. I love that point, you could say. Knowing God series. Do you need a list of 365 verses, one for each day, to lift you up and to meditate on in the things of God? Do you need a journal? Some people benefit from journals. Writing down what they're saying to the Lord, writing down what they found in the Bible, putting it for a date, you know, having a date and writing down, I, I, I thought of this, I learned this, I read this, and I looked at the words of this song. Whatever it takes. Personal devotions. That we have a church not just without that pointed object on the roof outside, but a church where every member, every living stone loves the face of God and the Lord Jesus Christ and takes time with Him every day so that we grow spiritually and the power of God is within each of our lives. It's, it's not here. You won't see so much this way. But God, who measures the hearts of all men, will know that we are a special church for His honor and for His glory, we don't want the praise of anyone except Him. May God bless the preaching of His Word.